Rahul Potty. I'm here with my co-host PD. PD, say what's up. What's up? All right, and we're back with another one of our QB room evaluation videos. We've made a couple already. If you guys haven't found, uh, listened to that already, go ahead and check that out. Uh, but we're just going to continue, and this is going to be a extra special video because it's a little bit longer. We're going into teams that don't really have a whole lot of experience with their starters, so we don't have a lot of games to talk about and go off of. We, we're going to probably call this something like the – rookie QB room episode because essentially every quarterback in this starting is essentially a rookie uh going into this one uh and P do you have anything else to add or you want to get started with the first team now let's get right into it to be honest um yeah I agree yeah so you did clarify that not all of these guys are rookies but they are inexperienced mm -hmm. and that does apply for our first QB room because we're talking about the commanders here um the Commanders are currently um, penciled in to start either Sam Howell or Jacoby Brissett. Um, and the the rumors out of training camp are that it's going to be a battle for that starting job. Um, and honestly, I do believe them because there's not that much pedigree behind Sam Howell. Um, and he will probably have to earn his way uh, into that starting job. Um, and yeah, anything else you want to add before we start getting into Jacoby's games and then Sam Howell's one game? Yeah, I just want to say that I, I agree mostly that I think it will be an open QB competition. I think they'll obviously lean Howell because he's probably the only one with potential to develop into something long-term uh, on that commander's roster. And I guess he showed that one game of somewhat promise, which we'll get into. Uh, but Brissett did have a very solid season before Deshaun Watson took over in Cleveland. So he's definitely got something to him too. And yeah. All right, so let's get into the game-by-game -game analysis for Jacoby. So um, I'll start with week one against the Carolina Panthers. This one was pretty bad. Um, he he really couldn't get into a rhythm here. Um, the accuracy was bad. He had a couple of turnover-worthy plays, which he was punished for none of them. Um, yeah, just, just a really rough game and like a sluggish one uh, in the Baker Mayfield revenge game. Um, and I mean... Yeah, at least this isn't a sign of things to come because it does get better in the future, but uh, off to a rough start here. Yeah, I was going to bring up that Baker Mayfield thing because we did talk about this game not too long ago when we were doing the Bucks QB room, and this was the return of Baker, and it was a hyped-up game, and it ended up being a stinker on both sides. As we said, Baker didn't have a good game, and neither did Brissett in this one. His accuracy looked nothing like it was for most of the rest of the season. Uh, the offense really didn't get much going. Uh, kind of just a rough performance overall and not the way he wanted to start the season. But like PD said, it definitely improves. Yeah, speaking of that improvement, let's go to week two against the Jets. So despite the fact that the Browns lost this game in, in hilarious fashion, um, <laughs> Brissett played a pretty strong game, uh, in my opinion. Pushing the ball to the intermediate areas with frequency, um, combined with a couple of explosive plays. He did put the ball in harm's way one time for an interception. But I thought he did a really good job working off the play action stuff, um, holding the ball and, and taking his shots when he needed to. Um, so really strong game here for me, despite the fact that he did make that one big error. Yeah, I do agree that this game did end very hilariously. And only a team like the Browns could really lose in the fashion they did in this game. 
and one thing I want to say is I will take this game again with a grain of salt, kind of like I've talked to it with a lot of teams because this was a Joe Flacco led Jets team, which granted they were better with Flacco and then guys like Zach Wilson, but still not obviously the most impressive side to go against. Uh, and Brissett definitely took advantage in this one. Uh, Cleveland finally got the run game going in this one too. Nick Chubb had a good game, monster touchdown performance as well. And Brissett kind of just well worked off of that. Like PG said, he was great in uh, play action in this one. Him and Amari Cooper had a very good connection going. And Amari kind of just torched the Jets defense and Brissett was doing his thing. Yeah, and it does continue to get better here. Um because against Pittsburgh the next week, he's again fantastic, pushing the ball down the field with consistency um, at both the intermediate and deep level. A couple of awesome big-time shots that he took. Um, didn't put the ball in harm's way in this one. And I didn't think the sacks that he took were his fault. Um, played a pretty clean game in terms of being pressured as well. Uh, the Browns line did a very good job as they worked off play action again. So uh, very efficient, uh, very good in the role that he was asked to play in this one. Um, loved the way he played. Yeah, I agree. Another very efficient, clean game from Brissett, and you kind of just see him improving game by game so far. Uh, Once again, Cleveland's rushing game was going. Nick Chubb was having a great game, and Brissett did his job, which was working off of that and being able to, you know, just torch the Steelers' defense when they overcommitted to the run. I felt like in this one, especially with it being a rough and tough uh, divisional matchup, they were really stacking the box a lot, and Brissett was able to attack downfield when that was the case him uh he, he had great connections to both Njoku and uh, Amari in this one uh he didn't do a great job of spreading the ball I feel like and I feel like that's kind of a theme uh throughout the season for him but regardless he was still accurate on the passes that he did throw uh <coughs> and solid performance overall All right, so we did have a string of really strong performances, but now we're going to hit a bit of a lull um, with Brissett in these next few games. Um, And this first one against the Atlanta Falcons, um, not the greatest one in my opinion. Um, Could have been a little bit more accurate. Did put the ball in harm's way for one interception, and I thought the one sack that he took was kind of bad. Um, Yeah, just really holding the ball a long time with um, guys that I thought he could have hit with, with that powerful arm, so... Um, yeah, I, I, I was really expecting something better against not the greatest defense, but yeah, he could, he just, he just really didn't uh, have the greatest day in this one. Yeah. To me, he really sold this one in the second half because I think once again, Nick Chubb had a good game, but second half, this was a close one and he, they kind of needed to lean on Brissett a little bit towards the end to have like one drive, just passing down the ball downfield, getting them one good score to put this game away. And we just never really saw that happen. Uh, we saw the flip side, actually. We saw the Falcons come back and take a game, which you normally don't see from a Falcons team. Uh, it was very surprising. Uh, definitely wasn't nearly as accurate as he was in any of the other games. But overall, I felt like this was a game where the Browns needed to rely on Brissett to win one for them. And in previous games, he was good as like a front-running type of QB. Things are going right for the offense, and he was doing his part. But when they leaned on him, uh, they crumbled apart a little bit. Yeah, that's definitely a theme with Brissett. He's definitely more of the ceiling-raising type. Um, works very well off play action, uses that arm to stretch the ball down the field, but he's really not a creator and 
that becomes his downfall because yeah. in order to be kind of that floor raising type, you want to be versatile in all areas. So he's not really got that. Um, and we move on next week to week five against the Chargers. And um, again, you were speaking of like the second half collapse type thing that, <laughs> yeah. that really stood out to me um, in this one. So he was strong in the first half, but man, that second half was rough. Uh, put the ball in harm's way for an ugly interception in this one. Um, didn't take any sacks, but um, wasn't really under pressure that much. Um, and he was able to get the ball out in more than the above average time. So strong performance from the offensive line and the run game again to give him that support. Um, but yeah, he really couldn't deliver in terms of consistency and that that one interception um, and some general inaccuracies overall really doomed them this game. Yeah, very similar sentiment from the, me in this one because he did pretty much exactly what he did last week. Uh, the team needed him in that second half. They came out strong because once again, another amazing performance from Nick Chubb. Um, he was averaging like nearly eight yards a carry, crazy performance from him. And in the first half, Brissett was able to build off of that. But second half is a close one. They needed him in a couple of drives, and that's where the inaccuracy started happening. That's where we saw a lot of the, those incompletions. And just overall, once again, they couldn't lean on him to just go out and get them a win on his own without kind of a dominant run run game going on at the same time. Yeah, and that kind of uh, not being able to put the game away or uh, carry the offense when they need you, that really sticks out in the next game where this game was was pretty disastrous to me. Um, just he put the ball in harm's way six times in this one, uh, five interceptable passes and the fumble. Um, so, yeah, this is just a, just a really rough game. He does make a few explosive plays to kind of make up for it. Some of them pretty impressive, too. Um, but the sacks that he took were bad. Um, and like I said, five interceptable passes plus the fumble is just never going to be acceptable in any scenario, um, unless you make something like five, six explosive plays to make up for that. Um, and that did not happen this game. So yeah, just, just ugly, ugly performance for him and the Browns offense overall. Yeah. I was going to say overall, a very embarrassing performance. And I feel like Bill Belichick has almost made a career off of, embarrassing just teams without a competent quarterback and this was just another example he does a great job of shutting down your team's best impact player and that's exactly what he did he shut down Nick Chubb completely and Brissett was not able to deal with that obviously his completion percentage was terrible he his accuracy was just completely off it was very representative of how he actually played like PD said plenty of mistakes and just interceptable passes left and right and more importantly, this was Bailey Zappi in one of his first ever starts, just absolutely outperforming everything the uh, Browns offense had going on. So just overall, very embarrassing. Uh, things were not looking good at this point for Jacoby Brissett. Yeah. Um, and the next week, it gets not too much better, in my opinion. So I think the box score is lying in this one. Um I didn't think that his completion percentage um, or the yards per attempt were a good representation of his game because he did put the ball in harm's way three times, um, twice with the interceptable passes and once with the fumble. Um, and yeah, it just, it just, he couldn't really get into a great rhythm with the sacks as well. Um, so a number of negative stuff going on that really took away from the way he um, had consistency with completions, but um, yeah, just I, did, I didn't think he played that great in this one. 
Yeah, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said there. So I won't repeat that. But I do want to add is that we saw once again uh, him in the second half not performing. And I feel like it wasn't evident as much in this one because he also wasn't really that good in the first half. So the second half drop off didn't feel as bad. But also the Ravens offense, for whatever reason, also couldn't get it going in this one. Brissett had plenty of chances to come out and make plays uh, and get his team this win. But time and time again, he underperformed multiple drives going three and out in that second half. Just once again, disappointing performance. Yeah, but the next week, um, man, he he just absolutely comes out there and lights it up. Yeah, I mean, so this game against Cincinnati, they they absolutely blow the Bengals out. Um, And I think that him playing, again, him playing off the run game of Nick Chubb, that's going to be the best way he plays. Um, he does put the ball in harm's way and fumble once in this one, but like the number of accurate intermediate passes that he throws at this one, and he has an awesome deep completion as well. Like it, it's, it's, it's actually staggering how, how many times that he just continues to cut up the Bengals defense. And it's impossible for me to come from, come away from this game, just thinking that he didn't have a great game. So uh, yeah, shout out to him for this one. It was, it was really fun and uh, impressive to watch. Yeah, definitely a good game for him. This is that type of accuracy that we were used to earlier in the season, and he kind of returned to that. Uh, But I think we do see the theme that this team runs on Nick Chubb, especially when Jacoby Brissett's playing quarterback, because he's great at working off that. He just can't create his own offense necessarily. Uh, But regardless, that is who Jacoby Brissett is, and this was probably one of the best sort of examples of what he can do. Uh, because if you do get teams to bite on that play action, he's going to kill you. Uh, he's got great accuracy, and he's able to just – he's definitely able to read defenses when you cut off half the field and just give him a couple of choices of places to go. Uh, he knows exactly what he's doing. And this kind of just felt like an off day with the for the Bengals as well. This was kind of that point in the season for them where they were still struggling to kind of get their stride back from that Super Bowl – uh, appearance and the Browns just came in and punched them in the mouth. Yeah, so let's move on to the next game where um, they go to Miami and yeah, he just can't keep pace with that Dolphins offense. He's asked to scale up his volume again to try to uh, go punch for punch for what Tua is putting up on the other side, which is honestly an absolute masterclass. So we'll we'll get to that um, maybe next week or get week after, but. Um, yeah, like just he just couldn't get anything going in terms of consistency, um, and he does put the ball in harm's way one time, which doesn't show up in the box score. Um, all three of the sacks I thought were kind of bad from him, just holding the ball, and that's not gonna um, that's not gonna be the greatest when you don't have a lead, um, and when defenses are gonna be keen on um, kind of rush, rushing the passer and and playing the pass. So yeah, he just he just kind of. This is not his type of game script, and um, yeah, the consistency element just wasn't there to even make up for the fact that he um, he was out of place in this one. Yeah, the Dolphins absolutely ran up the score here, and Brissett was asked to, I guess, keep up with that. And like PD said, this is not something that he can keep up with. I think Nick Chubb's box score numbers look a little gassed because of he had this one like nearly forty yard run, I believe, but. 
aside from that one run in the fourth quarter when the game was kind of over, Nick Chubb was pretty much locked up all game. And more more so, the Browns just weren't able to go to him as much as they would have wanted to because they were down so much and they were forced to just pass the ball 35 times, which is not something they can do if they want to win football games, especially when you have a guy like Jacoby Brissett playing quarterback. So overall, the Browns are kind of just forced off of their game game plan, and that never is good for Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, Um but we do come out the next week, and this is the one evidence point for, I think, the whole season where uh, Jacoby played a huge volume game and played incredibly well. So um, against the Bills, this one, and he just he just made incredible throw after incredible throw in this one, dude. Like, deep completions galore in this one. Um, I think I counted, like, seven incredible plays in this game um, from Brissett, and he didn't put the ball in harm's way at all, so... Um, honestly, it probably made up for the disaster that was the Patriots game. Um, that's just how good he played in this one. I was absolutely floored by how good he played. Um, yeah, I, I I think it was incredible. Um, just the aggression combined with the downfield accuracy. Um, it gave them a chance to win the game, despite the fact that his receivers dropped a couple of those incredible throws. Um, yeah, just, just an incredible game from him overall. Yeah, this game was absolutely wild, and... 100% an example of any given Sunday in the NFL because going into this one, you were kind of expecting Brissett to wind down. I mean, in a couple of weeks, you have Deshaun Watson coming back. You're playing a team against the Bills who were incredible defensively this year. And not only that, we've seen them struggle in games where the run game is non-existent all season. And in this one, the Bills absolutely shut down not only Dick Chubb, but Kareem Hunt for the most part as well. You didn't get a whole lot of touches. The run game was not there. And if you told me all these things, 99% of the time, I would have thought the Browns' uh, offense got absolutely destroyed. But Brissett came out and put up a master class. Drive after drive, that was absolutely amazing. Many great throws and tight coverage because, like I said, this Bills team was very good. The secondary was pretty good, uh, especially good. And Brissett was absolutely dotting them up. Him and Amari, Amari Cooper played an amazing game in this one, and he was just finding him left and right. Uh, very, very impressive. Probably his best performance of the year. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it was his best game of the year. Um, so let's move on to his last start of the season against Tampa, and he was okay in this one. I thought he had a number of good intermediate completions, but never got to a point where he uh, got into a consistent rhythm with the accuracy and pushing it down the field with consistency. Um, a couple of missed throws and the four sacks, a couple of them were his fault, um, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, he, he, he went out pretty solidly. Um, nothing special, but a pretty decent game overall. Yeah, we got a lot of the more of the same for Jacoby Reset in this one. So I won't focus on that one too much. I will, like, I'll, I will focus on the bit of growth that we saw in this one because one problem that I've had with him all year that I talked about is the second half performance. And in this one, finally, we got him actually having the complete opposite where a lot of the game he was struggling a bit with his accuracy and stuff. And towards the end, he put that to the side. He had a great drive towards the end of the the regulation in the second half with the touchdown pass to David and Joku to cap that off with 30 seconds left, forcing overtime. And then once again, let another touchdown drives the following one with a couple of good completions there too. Overall, just uh, 
not the most impressive performance, but definitely showed something in the sense that he does have some fight. And it was nice to see that because uh, obviously that was his final start of the year. So it was nice to see that as he was going out. All right, so that'll wrap up Jacoby's season. Um, I thought Jacoby was uh, honestly a very good quarterback last year. Um, I would say he's probably somewhere in the average range for me. Played it in a really good scheme for what he does um, with the game that, with the team that really supported him. Um, but yeah, the, the Commanders really added a good player to their room, um, and it should be interesting to see how he competes with the other member of that uh, QB room of importance. Um. So let's move on to discussing that quarterback, and we only have the one game from him, and we can talk a little bit about um, his game as a player. Um, so he was put into the game Week 18 against Dallas. Dallas only had seeding to play for, really, um, which did end up mattering for them a little bit, but they did play their starters. So um, let's look into it. So um, Howell played a decent game uh, in this one, in my opinion. There were a couple of really ugly moments, like the a couple of the sacks that he took, I thought were pretty bad. Um, and the interception he threw was was objectively horrible, like one of the worst interceptions I saw all year. Um, but the 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 throw that he made down the sideline to McLaurin was was awesome, like a deep go ball off the play action, and he just launches this thing like fifty five yards and drops it in the bucket, stride for stride with McLaurin. So awesome, awesome play there. And he has a number of really, really good runs. Um, and I think he showed that while he's inconsistent with his footwork and his technique right now um, and could definitely do a better job in terms of reading defenses. Um, and you can also see some signal there from the way that they're calling plays. They're not really calling true do- dropbacks as frequently. It's a lot of play action type stuff. Um, so they clearly don't believe in his ability to go one to two to three and, and process the defense before the snap and all that. Um but I think that there's definitely something here in terms of value on his rookie contract. And I think he probably could end up as a starter long-term. What he showed here is that he's a really strong ball of physical talent. Um, and if he can refine some of his mechanics and, and stuff like that, um, he probably has uh, something in the tank long-term. Yeah, I've said this with a lot of games, and I'll say it again with this one. I, I do want to take it a little bit with a grain of salt because at this point, like PD said, the Cowboys season or like seeding wise are pretty much wrapped up. They had nothing to play for in this game, essentially. And it definitely looked like it because they kind of got dog walked in this one. Uh, and Sam Howell did have a decent performance. He did have a bit too many sacks for my liking. I felt like he was holding the ball a bit too much. And that might have had to do with nerves coming into his first NFL game. But definitely looked a little bit antsy in the pocket at time, times. That interception was obviously a glaring issue. Uh, I feel like it was such a bad interception that it's something you may not need to worry about long term. Because it's just, I just don't see him doing such something so stupid regularly. Uh, probably just something he needed to get out of his system early on. But yeah, like PD mentioned, there were a couple of throws on this in this performance, particularly that fifty-two yard to McLaurin that were just absolutely incredible. But regardless, he only had eleven completions, very small sample size. Honestly, we don't know how he's going to be playing long term, but he showed a little bit of promise and. Uh, that is what the commanders wanted to see as they rounded off this season. 
Yeah, pretty much. Um, so let's give a quick range for how we think that they're going to finish this season. So Jacoby, I think that um, he's going to go into a worse situation than he did last year. And it's possible that those high-end games just show up less frequently. Um, after all, his game is based on tight window accuracy down the field and things like that. Those are the way- ways that he generates explosives. Um, so I would say that his median outcome is something like the 23rd, 24th best quarterback in the league um, if he if he has a decent fit with the scheme, which I think he should. Um, and I think that uh, after that, he probably kind of, um, for, for a lower-end outcome, he probably finishes as like a low-end starter type thing. Um, uh, and, and then like a normal high-end outcome, he looks, again, like an average starter this year. Um, if he has like a super high end outcome though, um, I could see him developing like late in his career, like we saw with someone like Geno Smith and, um, maybe what we saw last year in terms of the explosive plays, um, down the field, they become a more of a staple of his game, which I don't expect, but that's why it's the highest in outcome. Um, and he looks more like a strong starter. Um, and then as like a super low end outcome, he could kind of revert back to his older self in terms of protecting the ball and. Um, those explosive plays kind of disappear, uh, and he looks more like a like a solid backup type of thing. Um, so yeah, what do you think about how he could do this season? Uh, and then we'll quickly touch on Sam Howell. Yeah, to me, with all the I guess a bits of inconsistencies we saw with Brissett, I feel like he very much is a rhythm player. And I think at this point, the Commanders have kind of decided they want to go in the direction of Howell obviously for age and potential reasons. Uh, and for that reason, I do think uh, we should expect a bit of a drop-off from Brissett. To me, what I expect as his median outcome is him being one of the best backups in the league because I do think if he was given a starter job somewhere, we could see him being a low-end starter level type of quarterback. But I think since he's a bit of a rhythm player – and I think when we do see him, he's going to be a high-end backup, probably something in the mid-30s range. Uh, if he does retain a lot of how he played last year, to which I agree with PD, he was a probably average-level quarterback, expecting a bit of regression. I could see him high-end outcome being a high to mid-20s uh, type of start, a starter-level quarterback. Uh, and maybe I I was saying with where Sam Howell is, there is a chance that he could take that starting role. And if he is to be that starter, I could see him getting into rhythm and maybe pushing for a average level quarterback play in a really high end uh, outcome if he ends up playing a lot of quarterback. And that's honestly the main range I see him playing. I guess in the low end, he could be like a mid-level backup and kind of fall off. But I don't really expect that to happen. I think what's most likely going to be the case is he is a very, very solid backup with the potential to do more based off playing time. Yeah, I should clarify um, what I mean in terms of like um, the lower end starter as the median outcome is like, I think that on a per game basis, if you put him in, that's what it would look like. Not that he would yeah. he would be a starter, actually, and, and one of the lower end guys. Um all right, so let's look into the outcomes for Sam Howell. So, um, th- this one has a really fat range. He's gonna be twenty three um, when he takes his first snaps this year, I think. So, um, yeah, it's it's there's there's a lot of things that could possibly happen, but 
I've set the median outcome for him as a low-end starter as well. Um, I think that it's going to be lower than Brissett because I believe in Brissett's, um, honestly, his physical ability and his mental ability more right now. Um, but uh, Sam Howell's high-end outcome, like just the 75th percentile type outcome, um, I think it is like in that starter range. Um, he showed that last year he could be one of the stronger arm type quarterbacks. Um, and he does have some deep ball accuracy to him uh, going back to his time at UNC and he's able to run the ball decently well. So there's, there's tools there that you can build uh, an offense around with, with the play action game, with deep shots and, and working in some of the QB run game. Um, and if everything totally goes right and he has a monster development, um, in terms of mentals and processing, um, I could see him get into that strong starter ranger, um, yeah, he could, he could be a really good quarterback this year, I think. Um, and then looking into some lower-end outcomes for like a 25th percentile and 0th percentile. Um, 25th percentile, he probably looks like a median or mid-level backup um, where the development doesn't really happen too much. He still has inconsistencies with his footwork and the accuracy can kind of be, be kind of yuck at times. Um, and he just kind of doesn't handle pressure well enough. Um and then in terms of zeroth percentile outcome, he probably like regresses in terms of the deep ball accuracy, um, which I don't think is going to happen, but that's why it's a zeroth percentile outcome. Um, and yeah, he just doesn't really have too much value other than the quarterback run game. Um, so yeah, those are some of the outcomes for Sam Hollow, I think. Yeah, I like that when you started off, you mentioned that he was only 23. I, I, I find it a bit funny that people want to rule out guys like Trey Lance, who are also 23. But Sam Howell is 23, and it's cool. But not to digress too much, back to Sam Howell. Uh, in terms of how he's playing, I expect his medium outcome not to be too far from where I expected Jacoby Brissett to be. I, I, see, I think on a per-game basis, he'll probably be uh, – high level backup to low end starter type of player on average somewhere in like the low to mid 30s is where I expect him production wise uh even though he did kind of show that he could be a bottom level starter in the league last year I still think that there's going to be a lot of growing pains with him a lot to learn uh he did have a lot of experience in college but I do think he's the type of player that needs a little bit longer to adjust to the game purely because he's not a He's not necessarily a physical gift, and he can't rely on that uh, and fall back upon that when he needs to. Uh, I think he does struggle a little bit with consistency issues with his uh, footwork and uh, even mentally being there all the time. So I do think uh, with all that being said, he'll probably be in that similar range to Jacoby Brissett. Uh, but obviously, with him being a very young player, someone we haven't seen a whole lot, his range is going to be massive. And I'll start with the lower end outcome, which I don't see happening once again, but I could see him being a low-level to mid-level backup type of player uh, if he is bad. Um, there's no real signs pointing that to that to me right now, uh, but obviously, with him being a young quarterback, not experienced, we could see him completely slump and fall into that. And something that I think is more likely but probably won't happen is his high-end outcome. Uh, I could see him sneaking into that bottom to mid-20s type of range, uh, the type of range where I do see some of the other quarterbacks that we're going to talk about today fall into. Obviously, Sam Howell is essentially a rookie, something I started off with saying. Obviously, he's not a rookie, but he's only played one year. This is essentially his rookie year. 
and I could see him fall into that same type of category with the other rookies if he catches on to the game quicker than expected because he does have a lot of traits that you do want in an NFL quarterback. And I, I remember coming out of UNC, he was seen as one of the more NFL-ready type of quarterbacks. So even if his ceiling isn't the highest, I do think his floor-level value is going to be solid coming into the season. Yeah, his ceiling is probably capped because of the way he sees the field at his size. Um mm-hmm. But I, I think that um, for me, when I was watching him at UNC, I thought he had like really strong traits in terms of pushing the ball down the field and using his legs in the QB run game, especially in his final season that he showed that. Um, but yeah, we'll see how, how the commanders want to build around him. Um, let's look at how they fit with this offense really quick before that we move on to the next team. So um, I think that Jacoby should have an easy time uh, fitting in with with this group and, and same with Sam Howell because I think he has some of the same strengths um they the commanders really do like to run the ball if they if they continue to look like what they did last season um and I, I really do like their receivers in terms of pushing the ball down the field whether it's McLaurin or Dotson both of them can win the win in contested situations and then whatever development we get from Deami Brown maybe and, and then Curtis Samuel as well as a supplementary piece there and Logan Thomas as well. Um, and I think their offensive line has a number of good players, but um, they're kind of missing like a great player. Um, so there are some inconsistencies there, but um, I think they can do well enough to hold up to deliver those play action type shots um, for uh, Howell and Brissett. Um, and yeah, I think it's a good scheme fit overall. Yeah, I'll be honest. I think this Commanders team it would be a good fit for a lot of quarterbacks because they have a little bit of everything, and I think it's a bit of a underrated, uh, uh like core to surround your quarterback with. I think the offensive line is going to be suitable for both guys. Obviously, I th- I think this is a very good offensive line going into next year, uh, and I think with a young quarterback like Sam Howell starting. Uh, you're going to need that. Obviously, the power run game with Brian Robinson mixed in with the, I guess, the versatility of Antonio Gibson is going to give them a lot of uh, help in the backfield. And I think both Brissett and Brian Robin, or and, and Sam Howell come from backgrounds of having like a power running back with uh, Chubb in uh, Cleveland. And I believe it was like Javante Williams who played with Sam Howell in UNC. Yep. So I think yep. having a guy like Brian Robinson there is going to be helpful for both of them. Uh, we talked about how Jacoby loves to live off the play action. I think a young quarterback like Sam Howell will also enjoy having a good play action thing going on. So I think that fit with the run game and offensive line is great for both of them. And I think this receiver core is just overall very deep and good. Terry McLaurin's going to be our quarterback's best friend in all scenarios. And I think Sam Howell's and Jacoby Brissett's like skill type, which I feel is similar. Both guys are very accurate and can get the ball downfield to a guy like Terry McLaurin uh, and someone with as high a catch radius and someone who can help out his quarterback as much as him. I think he's going to be a favorite. Uh, you also have a very big target in Jahan Dotson, who obviously was having a ton of big plays all over the place last year think he's going to be a great fit with Howell as well. And they have a couple of other guys who can just do a lot, be versatile. Uh, I, I, don't, I think this is a great fit for both of them. But like I said, I think 
a lot of quarterbacks can come in and fit fit in with this type of offense. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, and I think that they would be maximized with um, a quarterback who can operate off play action and do some drop back stuff. So we'll see how it goes in, in the future. Um, all right, so that'll wrap up our commander's breakdown. So let's go on to our next team, which is the 27th ranked team, the Indianapolis Colts. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're currently penciling in Gardner Minshew as the starter. Um, I'm not sure how long that's going to last with the fact that they took Anthony Richardson fourth overall in the draft. Um, but he's a very young player, does need to work on the consistency element of his processing. Um, so it is possible that they start off with Gardner Minshew. And let's talk about the couple of games that Gardner Minshew did start last year. So um, he played two games towards the end of the year with Jalen Hurts being injured um, for the Philadelphia Eagles. And this first game against Dallas, he played very well, in my opinion. Put the ball in harm's way, um, two interceptions, but only put the ball in harm's way. That was his fault for one of them. Um, and he just was extremely aggressive pushing the ball down the field in this one. Took no sacks, even though he was under pressure for a number of snaps, and was just aggressive targeting his playmakers down the field repeatedly. A number of intermediate completions and deep completions as well, where um, even though he didn't make a super impressive throw um, in terms of being on target or on time, um, he got the ball there and and gave his receivers a chance to make a play, and um, I thought he was really impactful in that game overall. Um, yeah, just, just continually pushing the ball down the field and giving the Eagles a chance to to win the game. That's kind of a theme for Gardner Minshew. Yeah, honestly, this game made me question a little bit how he doesn't have a starting role because not that he lit it up to the point where we can expect him to turn into a franchise guy, but this game absolutely made me question why he's not a starter, at least somewhere, given how how bad some of these other quarterbacks was because he did light it up in a sense. And yeah, he wasn't the most accurate guy and he wasn't making passes that would make you think like, oh, this guy's got elite anticipation, elite level accuracy, none of those things. But he was able to run that offense. Granted, the Eagles offense was the best in the league, arguably last year. So he had plenty of talent to work with. But he absolutely made them work. Him and Devontae Smith had absolutely elite connection. He was attacking downfield with A.J. Brown. I think there were a couple of 30-plus yard catches that A.J. Brown had in this one. Absolutely great. Great game overall for him as well. Uh, a lot of those touchdown drives were huge, huge plays from Gardner Minshew. Overall, he just showed that he can still be a starting level quarterback in this league. And he competed with one of the best teams uh, in the NFC remaining uh, in this Cowboys team. So overall impressive performance for me. Yeah, you said that this game made you question why he doesn't have a starting job. Um, And we get the answer the very next week. (laughs) uh, Because the consistency element of his game is just totally lacking. Um, we really saw it this week. Um, he put the ball in harm's way five times and was only punished for a couple of them. So he has a fumble, a very ugly fumble, um, and throws four interceptable passes in this one. Um, and that's not all because his accuracy in this one was, was pretty rough. Um, he tried to really push the ball down the field again. Um, not really to the same degree as the last game, but he does try, and he took six sacks at this one. 
um, which is kind of the double-edged sword with with Minshew. He tries to make a ton of plays out of structure, but um, sometimes he ends up on on the wrong end of them. And um, yeah, you end up with games like this where he's just putting the ball in harm's way with consistency and and taking negative plays. And yeah, that, that's that's why he doesn't have a starting job. It's because you don't know whether he's going to win you the game by giving you a great chance to win um, or, or just totally lose you the game like he did in this one. Yeah, my line of questioning was very, very much short-lived because, yes, that Cowboys game made me question <laughs> why Gardner Minshew was not a starter. And then this game was exactly why I remembered and I think his box score doesn't look too bad because of a couple of plays, one being a, I believe it was 78-yard touchdown pass to A.J. Brown, and granted, he did get it to him, but I think that was more of A.J. Brown just being an absolutely elite receiver and just get, uh, getting that touchdown. Uh, and that made Gardner's day look a lot better than it was because overall, he was absolutely just not good in this one against the Saints team that wasn't even 500 this year. Uh, he had that Eagles team around him, obviously, which was the best offense in the league. And he did not perform whatsoever, aside from a couple of drives he put together in the third quarter, one of which which was that big A.J. Brown touchdown pass. This offense got nothing going on. He had a little bit of a connection with Devontae Smith, but overall still way too many mistakes, way too many sacks taken, especially given how good his offensive line was. I think having six sacks behind this Eagles offensive line is absolutely criminal. So just overall not consistent. And I think he had a little bit of that element of surprise uh, going for him in that Cowboys game. And maybe it being a divisional matchup, things kind of got like murky and he was able to put together a good performance. But the Saints game showed exactly who he really was. Yeah, so that'll wrap up our game reviews for the Colts because we did a whole spiel about Anthony Richardson. We've talked about him on this podcast before. Uh-huh. Um, you can go, go check, check out, out our previous episode. Yeah, we, you can go check out our previous episode if you want to look about look at that. But let's move on to um, what his range could be um, for Minshew and Richardson. So um, for Minshew, um, I think the range is pretty defined here. We know what he is. Um, he can hit cold runs of play and hot runs of play. Um, and it just, as the sample grows and grows for, for Minshew, we kind of know that he's going to end up looking like that fringy starter backup type. Um, he's just going to win you some games, lose you some games. Um, that's just how it goes with him. Um, and I think that for higher end outcome, maybe he hits a hot streak for longer um, and he looks like more of a low end starter. And then highest end outcome, he plays on a heater for like the whole season, he looks like an average starter. Um, if you want to look at like lower end outcomes, like 25th and, and 0th percentile, um, maybe he hits a cold streak for a little bit, a little while, and he looks like a like a solid backup instead of like that fringe starter type. Um, and if he has like a really cold streak, he's he look like more of like a like a low end backup type. Um, so very very like clear play style in terms of how it correlates with. Um, what his outcomes could be. Um, he's just a very hot and cold quarterback. And um, yeah, it, it just kind of depends on how he's feeling in that in that given sample, pretty much. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a huge range on Gardner Minshew. I'm actually 
pretty damn certain I think we're going to know what we're going to get from him, which is exactly what you were saying, that fringe starter to maybe elite-level backup type of production. And I really don't see him changing much from that. I'm sure he could get hot and could get cold. I mean, we've seen it happen, uh, how up and down he is. So he could have stretches of that. But overall, I think his average production is going to end up being around there. And I think, honestly, he's the perfect in the perfect like range for the role he has, which is obviously a bridge quarterback. And I think because he's so set on like what we're going to expect for him, there's not going to be any real controversy between him and Anthony Richardson on who's going to be the guy long-term because we kind of know what to expect out of Minshew. He's going to be inconsistent enough to where no one's going to want to cape for him. So I think he's honestly in a perfect situation here, and we're going to get exactly that role from him, which is, you know, fringe-level starter type of guy. All right, so let's talk about Anthony Richardson and then the scheme fit for the Colts quarterback. So Richardson, man, the range here is really big. Um, So for him, I think that my median outcome for him is like a high-end backup type. Um, I think he has a ton of skills in terms of, what he can do as a runner um, and the power in his arm is very real. Um, he can really push the ball down the field. And I think that lends itself to initially having a strong, like uh, play action game out of pistol with read option with Jonathan Taylor. Um, and I think it could go really well, potentially. Um, so looking at like higher end outcomes, I would say he looks like um, like a, like a decent starter in his 75th percentile outcome where He's running a little bit hot with his deep accuracy and his rushing looks absolutely otherworldly um, and defenses are in a, in a bind where they have to respect the shorter yardage type stuff with the run game um, as well as the deep shots. And it's, it's a tough interplay for them. Um, and then at, at his highest end outcome, he looks like a really strong starter, even as a rookie um, where he's running really hot in terms of his accuracy down the field um, and just really like, uh, maximizing all of what he can do as a runner. Um, and then in the lower end outcomes, the the shorter range accuracy and the, the decision-making gaps as a young player um, really start to bite him. Um, and then I see, so I see his 25th percentile outcome being more like a, like a lower end or like a medium to lower end backup. And then his worst outcomes, he doesn't really see the field or, or look like he should see the field um, because those processing gaps um, instead of inconsistencies like we saw in college or inconsistent flashes, we see more of like the bad stuff uh, come out. And, and at that point, he doesn't really look like he should be playing yet. Yeah. So for Anthony Richardson, I think there's a big gap on his career overall in terms of like where he could be. But I think in terms of year one, there's a bit going to be a bit less of like range of possibilities of what he's going to be uh, less than at least long term rather, because I do see this season being a completely developmental year for Anthony Richardson. And I'd be very, very surprised if he comes anywhere near that high end outcome. Cause with the, what I've been hearing about him is he's like a very, very much of a prospect, uh, 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 well, a raw prospect. And I just don't see him, hitting that high-end outcome and becoming a serviceable quarterback this season, especially because I just don't think he'll have the time to get enough games to string together two 
you know, get himself to play at that level. Because even just considering a per-game basis, I think Anthony Richardson's going to need a little bit more experience to get himself going and get to that level. So what I expect out of him is honestly a similar type of season to Gardner Minshew, where he is a fringe starter to high-level backup type of production. If he does put all those skills together faster than we all anticipated, I could see him being as high as like a top half quarterback in this league, maybe on a a lower high-level outcome, maybe in the 20s, mid to high 20s. But I just would be very surprised if he put it all together, judging how raw he is. And what I could see happen more likely than the high-end outcome is maybe the low-end outcome if it takes him a bit longer to develop. Even though I do like Anthony Richardson's uh, potential long-term, I could see him having like a rough entrance into the league as he still figures out how to put things together. Uh, I don't think that uh, this first season's going to go that well for him. So I could very well see him being a low-level backup to mid-level backup production where he is in uh, because he's still adjusting and still learning how he's going to put all that together. Uh, but medium-level medium level outcome, I do see him being in that middle range. Yeah, I, I think that we're kind of looking at it differently where, like, I think that development in the NFL and in sports in general, really, it's not going to be linear. Um, yeah. So something like, I don't know, like like Justin Herbert's rookie season where like he comes out and looks like an absolute world beater. I didn't see that happening. And, you know, I think that um, something like that could possibly happen. Or maybe like even look at like Cam Newton's rookie season where in the first part of the year he looks at like an absolute machine. Um, I think that's possible for him as well. Um, just like um, these high-end outcomes, we just never see them coming, right? Um, yeah. And that's just how – that's that's why they're the high-end outcomes, right? No, um, I, I do agree a lot before we move on. I, I, I do agree that um, what's it called progression isn't linear and it could happen at any point. And I think that's why I feel like at, in year one, Anthony Richardson's not going to be – like not gonna have that much of a gap because I do see that jump happening. I just don't see it happening year one, and because of that, I think his range isn't as much. Because so I think long term he could be a variety of players. It could it could be a huge huge difference, and we talked about that in the Anthony Richardson episode, like where he could potentially be long term. I just think this season, I think it being a I I just expect it to be a low. Uh, development year for him and that's why I have him where he is yeah th- there's there's some interesting reports coming out of camp they seem to like him mm-hmm. a little bit um, to touch on what you were saying with right. uh, what you've been hearing um, but yeah uh, it could all be noise we don't really know so uh-huh. let's talk about the fit with the scheme of, of the Colts and the team so I absolutely love Anthony Richardson's fit with with Steichen um, Steichen showed that he could use um, a quarterback who's predominantly um, wins with the run game with Jalen Hurts last year, um, as well as a guy who loves to take shots down the field like Jalen Hurts did last year. Um, So that really, really does fit with Anthony Richardson's game, but he's more of like a power type runner. So should be interesting to see how, um, how he uses that or rather, let me say it differently. He's, he's more of like a, like an explosive type of runner, who has more power on uh, his broken tackle attempts than, than Jalen Hurts does. 
Um, and, and that really does say a lot because Hertz is an incredible power athlete. Um, and I think that in terms of the players, um, he does fit well with guys like Alec Pierce and, and Jelani Woods, who really do want to go down the field. Um, and, and even Michael Pittman, um, Michael Pittman can improve the kind of, um, catchable pass rate, uh, for Anthony Richardson by having such a, such a large catch radius, even if the accuracy isn't there, he can, he can make him, uh, put the ball in a catchable spot more. Um, and I think that their offensive line is a little bit of a work in progress, but I think they had a really low end outcome last year. And, um, if we see anything close to progression from them, um, they could be a decent unit again. Um, this is a roster that needs work for sure. Um, but I think the pieces are there for where Richardson can have a decent environment towards the end of the year. Um, and then I'll quickly go to Gardner Minshew cause we're uh, running kind of long on time. Um, but Minshew, like he doesn't really have like a fit necessarily other than, um, get guys who can help him improve his aggression. And I think that Pittman and Pierce both do that. He's going to chuck up a bunch of jump balls to Pittman. Um, and, and Pierce is going to, have opportunities to win down the field and, and Minshew's probably going to take those, those chances. So um, that's a pretty good fit. I don't think that the scheme really does much for Minshew because he abandons the scheme a lot. Yeah. Uh, I'll start with AR real quick too, obviously, because he is the guy that the Colts are trying to build around, obviously. And there's part of this Colts team that I really like the fit with Anthony Richardson. And there's part that parts that I'm not too high on you as uh as high as you are, uh, PD. As far as the Steichen fit, I absolutely agree that this is a match made in heaven almost. And I think we said this in the Anthony Richardson episode as well. Uh, I see a lot of parallels in Anthony Richardson and Jalen Hurts game, even if it's not necessarily one-to-one. They do have a lot of similarities. And I think Steichen, a guy who's a younger off uh, with the, an offensive background, someone who's a little bit more progressive with the way he runs his offense, Someone who knows who uh, to integrate uh, the rushing aspect of a quarterback's game, uh, and still be very very effective, and still be able to use that arm and launch the ball downfield, like you said. Uh, I think that's going to be great for Anthony Richardson and great for his uh, development too. Because I think I said this in the draft video, Jalen Hurts was nowhere where he is right now, and Steichen was a huge reason for his development from where he is and putting all those tools that Jalen Hurts had together and Anthony Richardson's a very similar player in the sense that he's got all the physical tools he's got a a ton of strength in his legs a lot of power huge arm and he just can't put it all together just yet or maybe he hasn't had the right coaching to put it together yet and I think Steichen's going to be able to do a great job of this and I said this in the draft video as well I absolutely love the fit with Jonathan Taylor I think having two absolute uber athletes in the backfield uh, like that is just going to be an absolute like, bitch to guard defensively. I don't know how teams are going to do that. And I think Anthony Richards having a running back like JT who can do a lot of things. He can catch the ball. He can run up the middle. He can run outside. Uh, obviously, this is going to be a very diverse off- offense with a guy like Anthony Richards and probably a lot of RPOs, probably a lot of uh, quarterback-designed runs, a lot of uh, 
uh, uh, run uh, read options and stuff like that. Jonathan Taylor can do all of those things, and I think that fit is a match made in heaven. Uh, the part where I'm a little bit concerned or worried about is this receiver core. Uh, I do think guys that can go up, jump, and get balls are always good for young quarterbacks, especially with big arms. I think him and Michael Pittman are going to be a good fit because – you do need a guy with a huge catch radius, someone who can go up and bail your quarterback out, get big catches like that, and utilize that big arm that they drafted Anthony Richardson for is obviously going to be good. But I think outside of that, the rest of the receiver core, not only is there a pretty severe lack in talent, I'll say, but I think they don't have enough space separators. And we saw in Florida with Anthony Richardson that he kind of wants receivers who not only receivers who can go downfield and snag balls, but also guys who are just elite route runners and separators uh, short term. Because one thing Anthony Richardson's amazing at, and I think is going to be utilized even more in the NFL, is his playmaking ability or his just ability to break the pocket, make something happen. And I think you need short yardage guys, guys that he's got good chemistry with that he can just get open and make those plays happen and make maximize his like talent set. And I just don't see that being the case right now with the Colts receivers. I guess guys like Alec Pierce, Isaiah McKenzie kind of have that in them, but I would have liked a lot more of that. And maybe even someone like they invested for in the draft uh, I would have really liked to see them surround Anthony Richardson with guys like that. And another thing is I do wish they got a, a solid tight end for him to play with because I don't think they have a good receiving tight end on the team right now. And I think with young quarterbacks, you always want a big target right like that that can just be consistent underneath. If you don't have the receivers to do that for you, maybe have a tight end and they don't have that either. So I think there's kind of a best of both worlds. You do have really good parts of that Colts offense that will fit well with Anthony Richardson, but some parts, not so much. Yeah, Pierce, I think, is more of like in the mold of like big receiver who can who can still win down the field. Um, uh-huh. Not really more of that route runner type um, for me, but I think Josh Downs is more um, in that mold. And he, he's a very young player, but... Um, I think by the end of the season, like I was talking about, um, with the environment being better at the end of the season, like that that's something that I could see where Josh Downs looks like a good player towards the end of the year. Um, and he yeah, kind of provides good. that that route runner separator type. Um, he can win a little bit down the field, um, but mostly I think of him as like an intermediate player um, and some in the short areas as well. So um, yeah, there is that element a little bit, but he's going to be... Um, if he's thrust in early, it's going to be a little bit of a rough, rough situation because of how young a lot of the players on, on this team are. Um, all right, so that'll wrap up our Colts discussion. So let's move on to the next quarterback room, which is the 26th ranked uh, Houston Texans. So the Texans have CJ Stroud and Davis Mills in their quarterback room as the guys that we really want to talk about. Um or I, I should say we haven't touched on any of the third string guys um, because we don't think we'll, they'll play this year. Um, but just, just for this one, I do want to touch on it because Case Keenum has been a pretty good quarterback in the past and he's in this quarterback room and should mm-hmm. be a good mentor for, for Stroud. Um, so we've done a whole episode on Stroud, obviously. Um, he's a strong quarterback with uh, 
extremely good accuracy at all levels of the field and, and is incredible off play action and um, has an awesome touch and, and understanding of how to uh, throw balls and, and uh, throw receivers open, has some good movement skills in the pocket where um, he can evade pressure, but I do question his ability to um, make consistent plays um, under pressure outside of structure and his ability to pre- protect the ball most importantly under pressure. Um, so that's kind of how I view, view Stroud. Also a good physical talent with both running and um, pushing the ball down the field. He's good in both areas, not great. Um, and let's talk about Davis Mills. So we're going to go through this one fast because Davis Mills is a really dry player to watch. Um, oh, for most yeah. people. tell me about it. And I, I am like a super nerd. So I do like watching Davis Mills, but uh, <laughs> I know that that's not a thing for, for most people. Um, so let's just speed run through this. So week one against the Colts in this fantastic tie that they had, um, Mills just, not that great, just pushing the ball down the field. Put the ball in harm's way twice for an uh, interceptable pass and a fumble. Um, a couple of the sacks that he took were his fault, just not a great game overall. Yeah, absolute classic of a game here, huh? But yeah, pretty much agree with most of what you said. A uh, huge drop-off in the fourth that caused the whole uh, choke of this game and ended up being a tie. But Overall, I think he was a bit better in this one than I would have said in most games. His accuracy was solid. He was pushing the ball downfield, led some successful drives, but overall, still nothing particularly impressive. Took bad sacks. Uh, didn't love his performance. All right, so let's go to the next game um, against the Denver Broncos and against a really tough defense this one. Um, just the accuracy and, and the ability to make plays just totally absent. Um, three sacks. Just I I didn't think he played well at all in this one. No consistency element. No down the field element. Just uh, it was just rough. He he just couldn't really get anything going. Yeah, that little bit of decent play I was talking about in the last one. He didn't have this year, and the Texans' offense pretty much had nothing going all game. His accuracy was piss poor. I felt like had. Seemed like no chemistry with his receivers. It was just unsuccessful drive in their own side of the field, one after another. Uh, overall, terrible game. All right, so let's get excited because he's putting together a string of act, a string of average games from now. Um, Ooh. All right, so let's go to all Chicago right. for the next one, where throws two interceptions but was only at fault for one of them, in my opinion. Suffered a couple of drops. Um, did a decent job not taking a sack or not taking too many sacks. And um, yeah, he was decent in terms of accuracy in this one. Gave them an okay chance to win. Uh, yeah, I guess he was better in this one. Improved accuracy a bit. I did feel like both the interceptions were his fault. But overall, a uh, low mistake game for a guy like Davis Mills. Uh, still lost a pretty close game. Could have done more to help his team. But I guess he didn't wasn't the sole reason they lost so that's improvement all right so for the next game in week four he actually plays pretty well um pushes the ball down the field a couple of times um and does put the ball in harm's way uh for one interception that was his fault but the other one i didn't think was his fault and looks decently accurate overall um in in a normal circumstance um they would have had a chance to win this one but i thought the offensive line sold him pretty hard um for these four sacks i didn't think they were his fault um so yeah, a decent game from him. Uh, 
I wasn't necessarily so lenient on him. I felt like he built a lot of what he had off a very good Damian Pierce performance. A lot of that did come from one big run. But overall, I felt like their offense was moving because he was having a really good game. Uh, he did push the ball downfield a couple of times. Granted, there was one pretty impressive pass to Nico Collins. Uh, but still a bit too many mistakes for my liking. The Chargers did kind of choke this one in the second half because they were going back-to-back-to-back drives where they weren't doing too much. And Davis Mills and Houston did not take advantage whatsoever, didn't even make it a game at any point, I felt like. So still disappointed. Yeah, speaking of disappointed, the next game, man, this is this is – this is this is this is where real football is made. Um, <laughs> Davis Mills barely pushing the ball to pass the line of scrimmage, um, and not even completely having consistency with his accuracy. Th- this is where real men are made. Um, yeah, just yeah. I don't really have much yeah, to say. I'll, about this I'll one. be it's, honest. It's bad. This was just depressing to watch. I'm not gonna add too much to continue shitting on him, but man, he threw for 140 yards in this one off. 24 attempts like that just goes to show this man was not trying to throw the ball (laughs) anywhere downfield and this was very very bad offense but somehow the Jacksonville Jaguars just had a absolutely piss poor performance and let the Texans win uh but still I I really saw no positives in Davis Mills game from this one all right so let's move on to the next game where um he has asked to scale up his volume a little bit in this one um, and he does okay. He, he pushes the ball down the field a couple of times for an, some nice throws, doesn't take sacks, um, and does put the ball in harm's way for one interception. But I thought he played a pretty good game overall. This was uh, one of his more entertaining games of the of the year, honestly. Um, even though they, they kind of, the, the offensive scheme is like still very much behind the line of scrimmage, short passing types. Um, those couple of explosive plays were pretty good. And um, yeah, not many errors in this one to speak of. I think you're giving the Texans a lot of credit by calling this and any call, calling this fun to watch in any way because I still think this was a relatively boring performance. Still, a lot of short passes, a lot of just getting the ball out of Davis Mills' hands so he doesn't have to cook. Uh, but I do agree; he was asked to do a lot more in this one than in a lot of games, just because of the nature of the way it was played. I I do take how much how good he was with a grain of salt because this Raiders defense was not good and they were putting up a lot of points because of how good of a game Josh Jacobs was having. So the defense wasn't necessarily trying to lock up per se. Uh, There's a lot of prevent defense being played in that second half, I felt like. So overall, I feel like his stats were a bit boosted, but still better than a lot of his other games. So we'll take it. All right, so let's move on to the next game. This one's bad, man. Um, against the Titans, he just he just couldn't really get into a rhythm. He has a couple of really nice explosive plays in this one, but I thought he did a poor job managing pressure, and his accuracy was not up to his normal, very good standards. And uh, yeah, the rhythm of the Texans' offense was just was just bad. And yeah, he was just awful, man. I mean, this was a game that Malik Willis played and won the football game because of how bad Houston's offense was. Like that is just embarrassing. Uh, the Titans were able to shut down the rushing game, and once they were able to do that, Davis Mills kind of just looked like a deer in the headlights and just was un- unable to do anything. Too many sacks taken for my liking. 
I feel like that interception was his fault. And I saw a couple more interceptable passes as well, at least in my opinion. Just another terrible game. Yeah, interceptable pass versus the quarterbacks, like actively putting it in the defender's hands is the distinguishing thing for me. Um, But Mm -hmm. let's move on to the next game. Oh, boy. Um, So they get shellacked by the Eagles here. Um, And it was close for a second, but... Um, not really because of Davis Mills, and he, he was he was rough in this one. Uh, put the ball in harm's way. Two interceptions, one of them not really his fault, in my opinion. But, yeah, man, the, the, the rhythm of the offense, again, just atrocious. He had three sacks. Um, Eagles defensive line, pretty ferocious. And so I don't think he was at fault for all of them. But, yeah, just, just not enough consistency in terms of pushing the ball down the field and, and getting the offense into a rhythm that way. Uh, yeah, the Texans were able to kind of keep this a game, even though this was a dominant Eagles team because of how good Damian Pierce's game was in this one. But it still was not enough to get Davis Mills going. Still pretty piss poor accuracy, in my opinion. Uh, the offensive line sold him a bit more than other games, so I won't blame him too much on the sacks. And I agree that only one of the interceptions was really his fault. Uh, But even though he wasn't necessarily making too many negatives, he didn't really make any positives either. Still was not pushing the ball downfield. All of their yards really came from just short passes where his guys were getting yak. Uh, But I did feel like he wasn't getting a whole lot of help from his receiving core either. They're kind of getting locked up all game. Just honestly an embarrassing performance to watch overall offensively for the Texans. All right, so let's move on to the next one. This is like an objectively entertaining game. You can't even lie to me and tell me this wasn't good. Um, Against the Giants, he pushes the ball down the field a lot in this one and does get punished for one interception where um, uh, that was his fault, but uh, does throw another interceptable pass that I thought wasn't punished in the box score. Um, And then, yeah, just like aggressive aggressive play style um, does come with four sacks as well. So... um, yeah, a little bit up and down in this one, but it's like objectively more entertaining than some of the other games that we've talked about. So. Yeah, I'll admit this was one of the more watchable games as far as the Texan seasons went. Uh, but I still was not particularly impressed with Mills. Uh, his, I guess, box score looks nicer than it does in a lot of other games because he honestly did do a good job of spreading the ball out getting the ball to a lot of his guys, which is something that we didn't really see from him all year long. But I still felt like his pass, uh, his accuracy was still pretty bad. He took a lot of sacks in this one, uh, which I wasn't a fan of. I also felt like he had two interceptable passes there, one of which he got bailed out for. But he had a couple of nice completions. When you do have an aggressive Davis Mills, you're naturally going to get a lot more mistakes. That's just the type of player he is. So I guess this is better than what we see in the previous games where he's kind of just being uh, extremely cautious to the point where he's holding the team back and nothing's happening on offense. So I guess this is better, but still not sustainable high-level offense. All right, so let's move on to the next game and then kind of speed run through the rest. Um, So against Washington, he does not play well. Again, um, puts the ball in harm's way once, does make – um, an explosive play down the field, but the number of sacks that he took in this one, just really rough, um, despite the fact that his offensive line gave him a decent chance to make a lot of these plays, just just really like, yeah, I, I was really unimpressed by his performance in this one. 
Yeah, he went back to just that atrocious level of play that we got used to. I thought he threw the ball in harm's way twice. Five sacks is absolutely insane. And for what it's worth, he had an 11.9 QBR. That's just embarrassing. This Texans team got nothing going pretty much all day. Uh, They only scored in garbage time and still another shit game from Davis Mills. All right. So let's go to the one awesome game of the year um, where in Dallas, he goes in, um, does throw an interception, but I didn't think that one was his fault. He's able to push the ball down the field and get some intermediate passes going. Doesn't take any sacks. Um, Just really, I thought he played a very complete game. And I think the interception being a thing um, that just ruined his box score. And he would have had a very, very nice game if, if not for, you know, his receiver selling him on that one. I th- okay, I think awesome is a bit lenient, but I think he was very much serviceable in this game. His accuracy was on point. He was not taking unnecessary sacks against a pretty good team. He competed against one of the better teams in the NFL, but we still didn't really see him push the ball downfield. We still don't really see him have high-level offense. I just think his receivers in some ways obviously the interception they did not help out but I think his receivers helped out a little bit more than they would but I was impressed with the way that despite the run game not really being there not really being efficient in this one he was still able to uh I guess manage the game was very very accurate uh solid performance overall average level performance I'd say which is very good for him Oh, you're being mean there. I thought he was well above average. Um, All right. So I'm just going to clump these next two games together because they're both disasters. Um, Against the Chiefs and the Titans, just really bad play. Um, Puts the ball in harm's way multiple times. The fumbles that he had were really ugly. Doesn't get into a rhythm with consistency in either of them, despite the fact that he doesn't really take sacks. Just really, really, really bad play. Um, Honestly, like like low end backup type of play. Like I would expect that from like, I don't know, like, like a Brock Osweiler back in the day. Um, Just, (laughs) just, just very, very bad stuff from him. Damn. I did not think I'd hear Brock Osweiler's name today, but I won't dogpile him uh, on him anymore. In that chiefs game, Mahomes made him look like a middle school level quarterback. Uh, Enough said. All right. So let's move to week 17 and 18. Um, so let's start off with let's go through these in individually because there's something juicy at the end there. Um, okay. So against Jacksonville, um, yeah, not the greatest game. He was he was pretty mediocre in this one. Um, didn't get into a rhythm with with the accuracy. Um, doesn't really take sacks, but there's little consistency. Throws the ball away a bunch of times, um, and yeah, just doesn't get into a great rhythm. Um, does have one explosive play that was pretty nice, but. Yeah, just just not a great rhythm. Not a great rhythm, not a game, great game to watch. Really. Yeah, I agree that mid is a great way to describe his performance in this one. Accuracy was still a problem. Still didn't really push the ball downfield. I guess he was better at spreading the ball around, but I feel like they were kind of just talking it <coughs> and hoping something could get going because they scored three points this entire game. The offense was abysmal. The rushing game got nothing going on. I think they're just trying things with Davis Mills, and towards the end, the Jaguars didn't really care to stop what was going on. I think he was mid to maybe even worse than that in this one. 
All right. So it's time for the game of the year chat. <laughs> Colts <laughs> against the Texans. Now, honestly, like genuinely, this was one of the more entertaining games I saw all of last year um, because of both teams just competing to see who would who would crap themselves harder. Um, <laughs> the greatest yeah, and of all time. It's not mid-off. It, it's more of a shit-off. Anyway, um, totally cool. so Mills, Mills was really aggressive in this one because he had to be, especially towards the end, really pushing the ball down the field a lot. Um, he did have two turnover-worthy plays punished for both of them, um, and they came, came in rapid succession, too. Um, he didn't really take sacks in this one, which is impressive for the for the volume of plays that he had. Um, and he was really, really good at pushing the ball down the field for whatever reason. Um in the last game of the season, he's he's absolutely screwing the Texans over um, and not giving them Bryce Young. So, um, yeah, really, I, I was I came away from this one impressed with his kind of moxie and, and aggression, and um, yeah, that that probably solidified his his ranking for me, um, which we'll talk about real quick. Yeah, I found this game absolutely hilarious because we got such a different version of Davis Mills all year. In the one game that they probably should have just won, or I mean, should have just taken their L, got the number one pick, and moved on. He decides to show up and be a completely different quarterback out of nowhere, despite the running game literally having nothing going for them. Because I think at this point, they had shut down Damian Pierce for the year. This guy just absolutely lights up the field. Still very questionable accuracy, I might add. And I do think one of the interceptions was his fault. Uh, but regardless of that, he was finally attacking downfield. I think he had a 52-yard pass to Tegan, I believe his name is. Uh, him and Cooks were getting things going. He was kind of just destroying this Colts defense, who I guess are playing a little bit uninspired. They were also trying to lose here. And there was a lot of just space open for him to attack. Uh, but he still did his thing. Uh, definitely one of the more impressive games of the season for Davis Mills. Yeah, all right. So let's kind of talk about uh, Mills and Stroud in terms of how they could play this year. So let's start with Mills since I just referenced it a little bit earlier. Um, Mills is like the very clearest case of me of a guy who is a backup in this league. He's like extremely, he's extremely conservative. Um, He's pretty accurate with the football especially in those short to intermediate passes and you can kind of plug him in there and and expect like mediocre play on any given Sunday and that's exactly what I expect from a backup um he's in terms of his like lower end outcomes higher end outcomes um he could probably look like a lower end starter in in his higher end outcomes um but I don't really see his 100 percentile outcome being much higher than his 75th um which does say a lot he's going to be lower end starter in terms of like quarterback 27 or lower end starter in terms of like quarterback 23 or 24 um that's just how his his play um, is going to shake out to me. And then in terms of lower end outcomes, um, also kind of the same way. He doesn't have too much of a gap there either. He's probably going to be um, in a lower end outcome, like a mediocre backup to me. Um, and in even lower, like a, like a zero percentile outcome, he's probably mediocre to low end backup. So like quarterback 45 versus quarterback 50, like he's not, not really like doing too much in terms of, a big time range here. Uh, yeah, honestly, I've been on the bench Davis Mills 
train since his rookie year because I also think he is absolutely a backup level player. And I'll go as far to say I think next year he becomes more of a mid-level backup player rather than a high, high-end high backup because I just don't see any defining trait in him that keeps him going. But I do agree with the point you were making, PD, that he is the perfect NFL backup in the sense that he can come in on like any given Sunday, really, and give you, like, roughly 200 yards, maybe throw a couple of interceptions here and there, one or two being his fault, uh, takes a couple of bad sacks, but he really won't put the game totally out of uh, reach for you. He'll keep you hanging around, which I guess you need for a backup, and you don't really want someone challenging Stroud. So I think it's cool that he's there. I guess high-level outcome, maybe he gives, like, low-end starter-level production kind of like last year. But I think with decreasing playing time, we're going to see his, like, average production lower as well. Uh, and I don't really see a much uh, a lower-end outcome. I think his worst is probably, like, a fringe backup type of player. But I just don't see that happening. I see him being a long-term backup in this league. All right, so... Let's look at the more interesting um, part of this duo uh, in in the Texas quarterback room, and that's C.J. Stroud. So Stroud, I think he has some inconsistencies with his decision-making in terms of putting the ball in harm's way, where I think that it's probably going to be a limiting factor in how good he can be as a rookie. Um, He could run a little bit hot with his decision-making. We did see that towards the end of last year uh, at Ohio State. but for me, in terms of the median outcome, he's probably going to be somewhere like a low-end starter, like QB 26 to 27, um, because of his desire to push the ball aggressively into tight windows like that, um, both uh, when there's no pressure and when there is pressure. Um, and then on the flip side, like in terms of high-end outcomes, he could run a little bit hot with his tight window accuracy. Um, and with that short accuracy and medium accuracy to complement, um, he could look more like a like a mid-level starter type of thing and in his highest end outcomes he looks more like a strong starter where um he kind of cleans up his his field and the stuff that we saw in like the georgia game towards the end of last year that becomes a more uh real part of his game and, and he looks like someone who can really be a creator more so than someone who has uh, real deficiencies under pressure um and then lower end outcomes um he kind of it's possible that he takes some time to adjust to the speed of the league with Ohio state being very far ahead of every defense that they play against. Um, and he kind of looks like more of a, um, high end backup type of thing rather than, uh, in that lower end starter range. Um, and then his worst outcomes, um, his feel looks like the worst moments that it did at Ohio state. And he looks like he should be, um, kind of like just a backup and someone who comes in and, um, is accurate and, and can push the ball down the field a little bit. That's what I kind of see for him. Yeah, I honestly agree with a lot of what you said with uh with CJ Stroud's levels because I think his medium level outcome is like exactly where you put him. Uh, something from that twenty five to twenty eight range. I think you said twenty six, twenty seven. I think that'll be very accurate for him. Uh, I just see him 
ha- having low-end starter production, he doesn't necessarily have the tools around him to do much more. And I think him early on, obviously, like you said, he's a very aggressive guy. And with him being not fully polished, he's going to make a lot of mistakes, and that's going to bring his value down. But he still does have a lot of traits that make him automatically better than a lot of guys in the NFL. Uh, I think high level, is if he keeps the mistakes down, if he kind of cleans up that little bit of a problem we saw with him, which was uh, him just failing under pressure, I see him that probably holding him back. But if he can keep that down a little bit, I could see him kind of reaching into that high, low 20s to maybe even like uh, high teens type of range for quarterback play, just being just below average if he really puts things together. And... I find it very unlikely that he hits his low-end outcome, but that would be him just taking longer to adjust to the game, like you said. You you said it perfectly. Ohio State was far and beyond better than their teams in a lot of his games, and he's going to have the complete opposite this year where his offensive talent is probably not going to have an upper hand on anybody, which I guess we're about to... Uh, jump into into the fit and if that really gets into his head really holds him back I could see him see him being like a mid-level backup type of production but unlikely to me yeah so let's talk about that team and scheme fit so um, I like what they did in bringing in Bobby Slowick who has experience with the 49ers Um, I think that um, with um, what's his face Kyle Shanahan having experience with Matt Ryan there's something there where I think Stroud can emulate some of what Ryan used to be able to do um, and kind of be able to push the ball down the field, be accurate in the intermediate area, work off play action, that that type of thing. Um, but I'm not sure that the receiving core is ready to do it um, immediately, especially considering the fact that um, right now the expectation is that Stroud is the starter. Um, just a very washed version of Robert Woods um, combined with Nico Collins and John Mechie is a rookie pretty much. And then behind them, it's like Tank Dell and Noah Brown and Xavier Hutchinson. So uh, very, very young receiver room, um, with the exception of Robert Woods, who I don't think is a high-level contributor anymore. Um, I do like the the fit between those guys, but um, they're just not really high-level enough players for me to be excited about it. Um, Dalton Schultz is a good player who I like the fit of. He works really well off those play actions and um, taking those kind of flatter routes and, and like drags and stuff like that for yards after catch. So I like that with him. Um, and I think the offensive line is young and developing um, with Laramie Tunsil as like a total rock right there. And I like the trade that they made for Shaq Mason. And I would expect some development from Kenyon Green um, and Juice Scruggs as, as a rookie probably um, looks kind of bad, but well, we'll see with that. Um, and Titus Howard, I think is, is, is an okay player at this point. So um the, the, the talent level to start off the year will probably be pretty rough, but I think by the end of the year, it could be okay. Um, among the guys that we're going to talk about today with the rookies, I think it is the worst um, in terms of receiving core um, and even the potential that it has to be by the end of the year. Um, so we'll see what, what Stroud does with, with this group and um, how it goes from here. Yeah, I may be a little bit less optimistic overall about Stroud's situation. I think you mentioned Slowick and that being a decent fit. And not that I do agree that I think he's going to be solid in his development, but them having a defensive-minded head coach like D'Amico Ryans and honestly not really bringing in 
uh, development or like quarterback head to really help CJ Stroud, in my opinion, is a bit of a questionable decision. I think when you do get a young quarterback to mold like CJ Stroud with a lot of talent, especially with the amount of stock they spent on him. I would want a young developmental quarter or a young uh, coach or someone who's known to develop quarterbacks at a decent rate. And we just don't have that with Stroud. And I think that's a bit of a problem. Uh, And as far as the offense around him, I think Damian Pierce is once again going to be a great fit with him, much like JT is with Anthony Richardson. Because a lot of what CJ Stroud was doing in college was just being able to read the defense and attacking. And I think a great way to do that early on in the league is through the play action game, you know, cutting off the half the field for him, maybe giving him bootlegs and stuff, giving him easy reads to, you know, kind of get himself going, kind of get situated in the game. And I think having a power running back that Damian Pierce that he can lean on, even like Davis Mills was able to lean on last year. I think having that is good, but And I'll continue with the positives. I think having a guy like Dalton Schultz, obviously, is very, very huge for him. He was a great safety blanket for Dak Prescott for many years. And a young quarterback's best friend is a a tight end like Dalton Schultz. I think he does a great job at getting open in kind of the middle of the field area, which we see C.J. Stroud attack a lot. So that I'll give him. And I, I agree that the Texans offensive line is improving. Laramie Tunsil obviously being one of the better left tackles in the league. They have him signed long term. And they did pick up other guys on that offensive line to make it improve. But we haven't seen them together. I don't I think it'll be a learning curve for them to build chemistry and start blocking together. And I think that's not necessarily a good thing for a, a young quarterback like Stroud. And we saw him uh, struggle a lot with pressure. And I think early on with this offensive line still kind of developing and gelling together, I think there will be a bit of struggles for C.J. Stroud getting a lot of pressure. But I think as the year goes on, this whole line will be better. It, I think it'll push for being a top half, maybe even better, maybe top 10 offensive line in the league towards the end of the year. So I think that shouldn't be too big of a problem, but my biggest concern is the same as your biggest concern, and that's that receiving core. I just don't see a whole lot of uh, talent or even, uh, what's it called, uh, potential in this receiver core. Robert Woods at this point is washed, and I don't think he particularly fits C.J. Stroud's play style either. Uh, Nico Collins is cool, but as a receiver too, I feel like you're asking him to do something he's not really capable of. Uh, John Mechie honestly might be a good fit with CJ Stroud. I do think if he can be healthy this year, that's going to be huge for him. But other than that, I see a severe lack of talent, not really people that fit CJ Stroud's game. Uh, you kind of want guys like Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson who are amazing route runners great at possession catching. And I guess you kind of have that with Robert Woods, but I feel like he's not that receiver anymore at his old age. Uh, You do have that with Nico Collins and John Mechie. So hopefully they can develop and help him out. But I expect a rough year in terms of the receiver core. Um, Yeah. um, I wouldn't say possession receivers for Wilson Olave, but like guys who win down the field and as route runners. And then you touched on Woods. Um, Woods used to be that guy, but yeah, I mean. Yeah, like, I just don't see him being that next year. Yeah, it's 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 rough. All right. Um, quick touch on Davis Mills. He fits in any scheme. You just throw him out there. He'll he'll do the same thing. 
we'll just check it down a lot and uh yeah be, be kind of accurate not put the ball in harm's way way too much that, that's kind of his thing yeah this situation is similar enough to what he had going on last year uh i think he was if he was thrown in he'll be fine i mean like i said he doesn't have a particular set of skills that pop out so you don't necessarily have anything to work with in terms of building around him so i think he'll be like you said just fine if he's thrown out there but you really don't want him out there all right so let's move on to our final quarterback room uh of the day and that is going to be the carolina panthers so the panthers are currently um slated to start bryce young i think they're not saying that but um they they should be starting the number one pick. That's just. I thought they were like, saying that they were gonna start him. Pretty um, much. Coach speak. They're saying Andy Dalton is currently the starter and Young has to earn it. But you know what's, uh, what's gonna happen. All right. Yeah. Um, so speaking of Andy Dalton, um, he's the one who played a bunch of games last year. We already did a, an in depth breakdown of Bryce Young. Go check out that episode if you want to. Um, but yeah, let's jump into Andy Dalton and and quickly speed through. Um, all of his games um, give a little bit more emphasis than we did for Mills because Dalton st- is is a good quarterback um, in my opinion. Um, so I'll start off with this Minnesota game where um, he does put the ball in harm's way a few times, um, twice through interceptable passes and once with with a bad fumble, but um, does make some explosive plays down the field. Is aggressive pushing it down the field, um, and yeah, I thought he played an okay game here. Yeah, pretty much similar thoughts on this one. I I liked his accuracy in this one. Uh, Could have done a little bit better job of pushing the ball downfield, but he did have some pretty long completions. Overall, very solid game. I would have maybe liked a little bit more towards the end to put his team over the top. He had a couple of drives that didn't lead to anything, but overall, very, very solid game. All right, next one against the Seattle Seahawks. So, uh, Gino is on the other side having an absolute masterclass, and he has yeah. uh, Dalton has a has a bit of a tough game or tough time matching that. Um, he plays okay, does push the ball down the field a little bit. His accuracy seems decent, um, and yeah, just not not a horrible game. Does push the ball down the field a little bit, um, puts the ball in harm's way once for an interception. But I thought he did enough in terms of completing passes uh, past his first down marker and such to kind of make up for that. Yeah, I thought this one, he honestly wasn't asked to do a whole lot, so I wasn't really, couldn't really take too much from it. I felt like this game, Taysom Hill kind of took over with how much massive plays he had rushing the football. Obviously, Alvin Kamara had a huge uh, volume day in terms of rushing the football, and he caught a lot of checkdowns and passes, and uh, that was a huge reason for their offense moving around. I think that big 54-yard play he had kind of boosted Dalton's stats. In general, I just didn't see much from him. So, uh, but he didn't do to he didn't make mistakes that took the game away from his team. So, uh, I'll give him an average performance here. Yeah. So let's move on to the next game against Cincinnati, and um, I thought he was okay in this one again. So pushing the ball down the field. Um, at the intermediate level, suffered a number of drops in this one um, and didn't take any sacks. So um, I thought he played well. Um, there's some consistency issues with um, getting the ball to where it needs to go um, with a number of throwaways. Um, and I mentioned the drops. Um, so his completion percentage is going to be a little bit deflated in this one. But um, yeah, I thought he did a pretty good job despite the fact that 
his receivers were really selling him quite a lot. Yeah, this was the Andy Dalton revenge tour going back to his home team in the Cincinnati Bengals. And I, 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 I was a little bit more hesitant to give him credit than you are. I still think he struggled a decent bit with accuracy issues in this one. His, the team definitely could have done a better job, I agree. His receivers were pretty terrible in this one. Uh, so I'll give him that. He had tight windows to work with. But I do think he could have done a little bit more. Uh, this offense definitely... could have gotten a little bit more going. A lot of what was going on uh, was the running game. They had a couple of big impact plays rushing the football and not really a whole lot going on passing the ball. So still just a mad game from him. All right. So you were talking about uh, a little bit earlier, not doing too much to lose the game. And this was the most, one of the weirder games I watched all year. Um, against the Cardinals on, in primetime. So he has three interceptions, and not all of them are his fault, but the ones that the one that was his fault was atrocious. Um, and while that was all happening during that game, he made a number of really, really good throws and didn't take it, any sack. So um, I thought he played pretty well in this one, despite the fact that he threw three interceptions uh, because of the way those interceptions happened. Um and yeah, despite the fact that there were pick sixes in this one, um, the the kind of the way the game ended was was rough for the Saints in the final box score. Um, yeah, I thought I thought his performance was good overall. Yeah, I think we f- saw the real redheaded rifle or whatever his nickname, the red rifle, uh, back in action in this game because. He was looking like prime Andy Dalton in this one. And we've talked a lot about like quarterbacks and his kind of caliber or maybe a little bit worse than him kind of folding when the run game's not really going their way and his team's got to rely on him. And we saw the absolute uh, opposite in this one. Andy Dalton definitely answered the calls. Uh, He finally pushed the ball downfield in this one, which I was kind of waiting for him to do all season. And he really did it in this one. Uh, him and Olave were connecting all over the place. And I think this was the first game of many where him and Olave were really getting a connection going. Uh, he even got a bomb to Kevin White, which was hilarious to see. Uh, 361 yards for Andy Dalton at this point in his career with four touchdowns is no joke whatsoever. So major props to him for this one. I also agree that a lot of those interceptions were not his fault. Uh, so pretty low mistake, high volume game for him. Very, very impressed. One of his better games of the year, if not his best. Um, I wouldn't quite say his best because we do have some masterclasses coming up. Or quote-unquote masterclasses. Masterclass is a stretch, but let's get to them. All right. So next game against the Raiders. Um, He plays okay in this one, puts the ball in harm's way, doesn't get punished for it one time. Um, Again, doesn't take any stacks, so good job there. Um, Yeah, I thought thought he played a good game in this one. Um, Just taking what was there. Um, short passing, intermediate passing, um, and yeah, it doesn't really make a mistake in this one. Yeah, uh, not much to say about this one for me either. The Raiders' offense was pretty horrible in this one, and Andy Dalton wasn't asked to do too much in terms of pushing the ball like he was last week just because he didn't need to, and he did his job. I was honestly pretty impressed with how he played, very accurate, uh, got the ball to his receivers. Alvin Kamara had a great game receiving the ball. 
even though he wasn't doing something out of the ordinary, he was still getting the ball downfield, and that's all you can really ask for, a solid game from him. All right, so let's move on to the next game here against uh, – this one's against the Ravens. Um, and, yeah, this was a little bit of tough sledding for him um, because the Ravens aren't really a defense to allow consistent um, – game-by-game consistency. Um, And I I just thought that the sacks that he took were a little bit messy, um, and they really stalled the the drives that the Saints were having. So um, I thought he played okay uh, because of that intermediate passing, uh, again, helping him. But, yeah, not not the greatest game overall. Yeah, pretty much agree with you there. Uh, This Ravens team was obviously very good, and – I think after seeing a couple of weeks of him not really being contested, they really wanted to bring the heat. And I definitely saw it affect him. His accuracy seemed a bit off to me in this one compared to his other ones. Uh, He was definitely making a lot more mistakes. His mechanics looked a little off. And honestly didn't take advantage of a game where the Ravens' offense was pretty piss poor. Uh, A little disappointing, but still not a terrible performance from him. He definitely didn't lose his team the game here. All right, so let's move on to the Steelers game where he's again average. Um, I thought that one of the interceptions that he threw wasn't his fault, um, but the one that he did throw was kind of bad. Um, he does enough, again, to make up for it a little bit with his intermediate passing and, and putting the ball past the first down marker um, aggressively. But, um, yeah, not, not the greatest performance overall. Um, a couple of sacks, one of them was his fault for me. Um yeah, just just kind of a mixed bag here. Um, ended up as as kind of a mediocre game. Yeah, you're a lot more lenient lenient on this performance than I was. I was pretty unimpressed by his performance in this one. His accuracy issues showed up once again. Uh, I don't think he took a lot of sacks, but I think the Steelers once again brought the heat, kind of like. Uh, the Ravens did, and even though it doesn't really show up on the stat seat, I feel like that completely broke up the way he was doing his game. Uh, a lot of things were not going their way, and that's why this offense was pretty bad, I think. And, uh, uh, and they did shut down the run game, and that made things tough for Andy Dalton, but he was kind of asked to step up here, and much like a lot of the other quarterbacks, we saw him not really do anything to elevate the team uh, he wasn't really getting things going with either of his impact players, whether it was Olave or Kamara, and I don't think either of them were particularly locked up by the Steelers' offense. It was just Andy Dalton not find, being able to find them consistently. So definitely not impressed with this one. To me, this was a below-average performance. All right, so let's speed run through these last few games. Um, so against the Rams, uh, this was a this was one of the quote unquote masterclasses that I was uh, talking about. He played really well in this one with accuracy, with aggression. Um, he has an incredible touchdown pass to Olave, where he's absolutely getting cracked, uh, getting spun to the ground, and just absolutely delivers it on a dime for a post touchdown. Very impressive play there. And throughout the game, he was aggressive, pushing the ball down the field and past the first down marker. Very impressive game from him. Yeah, I'll give him the masterclass title for this one. He was incredibly accurate, very, very good at pushing the ball downfield, like you said. That 53-yard bomb to Olave for a touchdown was 
beautiful. Definitely one of his better throws of the year. I think the sacks are kind of overblown in this. His offensive line kind of let him down. But what he could control, he was absolutely spectacular. Almost a flawless game from him. And uh, even though I was hesitant about it earlier, I definitely won't hesitate to say this was a masterclass. All right. So they go to San Francisco the next weekend. It's a little bit more tough sledding. Um, he does make a couple of nice throws. Um, but, yeah, they, they just kind of struggle to get into a rhythm um, because of Camara fumbling the ball every every two seconds. But, um, yeah, the, the accuracy just wasn't on the same level as um, it was in, in the game's past. And, yeah, he just couldn't couldn't really continue to uh, drive the Saints down the field. Yeah, this was that point in the season where the Niners' defense really hit their stride, and we just saw a couple of disaster classes in a row for some of these teams that came to San Francisco. And this was one of them for the Saints' offense as a whole. I think the rushing attack was absolutely locked up. Uh, Obviously, Kamara's fumbles did not make it any better, and I think it really limited what the Saints could do as an offense. I wasn't particularly unimpressed with what Andy Dalton was doing, but he really didn't do anything to push his team ahead either his accuracy was met at best he wasn't pushing the down uh, ball downfield I think once again the pressure got to him so overall not too uh, impressive of a game all right they go to Tampa for the next one and he again plays very well um pushes the ball down the field a couple of times for nice completions um is pretty accurate in this one um putting the ball where it needs to be um and yeah he was again aggressive in their intermediate areas when he was asked to be um, did a decent job not taking too many sacks Um, yeah just another very good game for him yeah this was kind of back to that Andy Dalton we saw a couple of weeks ago after a bit of a poor stint once again the rushing attack was now going for him and this time he stepped up good accuracy back to it again he was getting a lot of his players involved spread the ball pretty well he actually attacked downfield in this one honestly a bit of a shame that this game didn't go better for the Saints I do think he had a couple of disappointing drives in the fourth quarter where we could have gotten more and Tom Brady stepped up instead to take this one from under their kind of under their feet but overall still a solid performance all right so let's move on to the next game against Atlanta where he's not really asked to do much um, just comes out there, plays a plays an okay game. Does push the ball down the field one time for a nice completion. Um, I did wish that for uh, such a low number of pass attempts for him that he took less sacks. But um, yeah, he was just okay in this one for me. Yeah, I think that's a good, pretty good description of what happened. Considering this was a Falcons team that was just like experimenting with Desmond Ritter, the game like the season for both teams was kind of over with, and it was kind of just one of those games you're trying to get out of the way to get to the end of the year. The run game was a bit better in this one, so Andy Dalton wasn't leaned on as much, but I think accuracy was still once again questionable. But regardless, he was uh, did a better job of pushing the ball downfield. I think he had an, like a 70-yard pass to Shahid at one point. Uh, solid, solid game for sure. All right, so let's move on to these last stretch of games against Cleveland, Philly, and Carolina. And I think this is where we kind of see the Andy Dalton heater uh, kind of tail off uh, for me. Um, he doesn't really play that well against Cleveland um, in the small number of snaps that he had um, or Philly. 
and especially not Carolina where he w- he was pretty rough. Um, had a total of uh, five turnover the plays in those three games, um, and only a few plays down the field to offset it. So, um, and on top of that, he took seven sacks over those three games. So, um, yeah, I, I I really was was expecting more of a stronger finish, but um, yeah, I, I I guess that um, his luck kind of ran out there. Yeah, I'll also just summarize those games kind of like you did. Uh, but these games definitely showed me where Andy Dalton was at and kind of reflects where I have of him projected to be next year. Uh, because I think at this point in the year, teams had kind of figured out what to do to stop him and honestly didn't have that tough of, tough of a time. None of these last three games were high stakes per se. I mean, Cleveland and Carolina's, both their games were over. And they still were able to do a phenomenal job on Andy Dalton. I mean, that Cleveland game was absolutely atrocious. Uh, And even an Eagles team that wasn't necessarily playing for much at this point in the year was still able to make quick work of him and handle him well. And I, I think Andy Dalton's really good at doing a couple of things when things go his way a little bit, but when faced with a little bit more pressure, a little bit more adversity. I mean, we saw in that Eagles game, six sacks. Uh, that's terrible. Uh, and when faced with a little bit more pressure, he does fold. I think at this point in his career, he's a bit past uh, being able to handle all that. So d- disappointing finish to an otherwise decent season. Uh, all right. So, um, oh, I want to reference really quickly. He did get injured in that Browns game. So that probably threw off his, his play down the stretch, but... Um, regardless, just just not quite the greatest performances. Um, so we did reference Bryce Young earlier. Um, so let's talk about um, where Andy Dalton and Bryce Young could finish in terms of their ranges for this season. So uh, I'll start with Andy Dalton since we did so much detail on his games last year. Um, Dalton to me is the, maybe the strongest backup in the league. I, I really I really do like his his game uh, as as a compliment off the bench. Um, he. He really like. Um, I think he he's more of like a low end starter in his median outcome if he were to play this year, um, because of his newfound ability to be more accurate and consistent with his footwork and motion. Um, and I think that if he runs hot, he can be even more like a like a mid level starter. And in his like super high end outcomes, um, if he even plays better than last year somehow, um, yeah, he could be more like a strong starter. Where last year I thought he was like a middle-ish type of starter um and in his lower end outcomes like 25th and 0th percentile um what we saw last year was just kind of a flash in the pan he has more inconsistencies with his footwork and stuff and he looks more like a high-end backup or maybe in his worst outcomes like a mid backup but i do think this is a good player um and adding him to the panthers quarterback room is is a big get yeah i'm not particularly as high on andy dalton and i think he's uh, very much like some of the other backups that we've talked about, where I think his position is set. Uh, I don't see very much variation in where he ends up this season, but I do think he's maybe a bit higher up than some of the other guys we talked about, but definitely not as high as you would say, PD. To me, this guy next year is probably going to be somewhere in the 35 to 40 range in terms of quarterbacks. And that's not necessarily a diss at Dalton, because I do think he was better than a lot of the other guys we've talked about but I also think Andy Dalton which we saw last year is a rhythm quarterback and I think his average play is just gonna go down when he's not playing consistently 
uh, with him being at his old age, not very athletic, I think he does need a little bit of consistency in playing week in, week out to be able to see defenses and break them down at the high level he can. Uh, his mechanics at this point can be a little bit wonky when he's playing from place to place. And I think we've seen that in recent years. I mean, in the last like three, four years, Andy Dalton's been a starter and he's been a backup. And when we see backup Andy Dalton, I just feel like he's nowhere near starter Andy Dalton, which is what we saw last year. I think when he doesn't play consistently, he drops off. And for that reason, I have him somewhere in like the high level uh, backup range in the 35 to 40 range, uh, probably in his median level outcome. If if for whatever reason he plays a little bit more and we see some of that starter level Andy Dalton, I could see him jump up and being a fringe starter to maybe even somewhere in the mid-20s in his high-level outcome. And yeah, I don't see this happening, but his low-end outcome, if for whatever reason age catches up to him or if we see him play like that end-of-season, last-season Andy Dalton more often, I could see him sink into like a mid-level backup range. All right, so let's talk about Bryce Young and then some team and scheme fits. Um, yeah. So Bryce, I think his mid-level outcome is like a low-end starter. I think he's very ready to play right away. His knowledge of the game, both, both pre-snap and being able to react to pressure um, behind the line of scrimmage, are both excellent for his age um, and, and even probably good for... Um, an NFL starter entering the first year. I think he's incredible at both of those areas. Um, I think he's also very accurate and is very good at adjusting arm angles and such, which should help with the offense that they seem to type, the type of offense that they seem to want to run uh, this year. Um, yeah, just just a very solid player overall. Um, and then I think like we touched on it a little bit with um, our, our breakdown episode of him, but if he kind of gets into more like stronger either stronger footwork or where he's like more consistent um pushing the ball over the middle of the field that could open up a huge number of outcomes for him in my opinion where he's more of like a a mid-tier starter to high-end starter um in his higher-end outcomes uh, like 75th percentile and his like 100th percentile outcome where he steps on the field and his accuracy is like even better than it was at alabama which i thought he was like pretty much elite um at alabama if he steps on the field as like a more of an elite accuracy guy, um, which is impossibly rare for a rookie, but um, I guess with him, he's had a high, such a high starting point that a hundred percentile outcome could, could look like that. Um, I could see him honestly pushing for like a fringe pro role type of type of thing, which is a really like big time expectation for a rookie, even at the hundred percentile outcome. But, you know, I, I love the player and it's, it's, it's a really, really um, exciting package of stuff that he has. Um, and then in terms of lower end outcomes like 25th and, and 0th percentile, um, maybe he takes some time adjusting to uh, the speed of the game with him being more of like a processing style quarterback. Um, and he looks more like a high end backup rather than uh, the the starter type that I described as median outcome. And then his 0th percentile outcome may be like um, the pressure of uh, of the guys in the NFL is a little bit different of a style from, from college where the, the bigger bodies restrict his vision a lot more and um, he's not yet creative enough with his arm angles and his releases um, to combat that. And he looks more like a, a low to mid backup than a low end backup at his lowest outcome. Yeah, I know people may think these expectations for a rookie are pretty high, but honestly, 
But the guy like Bryce Young, his like, de- like his downsides and like the pe- qualms people have about him have nothing to do with his NFL readiness. I think at this point, it's pretty clear he's very, very much NFL ready. Uh, his problem is obviously his size. So I, but I think at, at this age, I don't think it comes into as big of a play as it will later in his career. And I do think him coming in being so NFL ready, I do think his median level outcome is similar to where you have him. I see him being in the mid twenties, maybe even pushing for uh low twenties towards the end of his year, uh, actually towards the end of the season. If he develops, as I expect, I could see him being an average level quarterback. But I think overall for the whole year, if you take his whole season into account, he'll be somewhere in the mid-20s median level outcome. If he does realize a lot of those physical tools uh, earlier on and like he is one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league just coming out the gate, he adjusts to the game faster than we expect. I could see him reaching that average level quarterback play to maybe even pushing top 10 uh, towards the end of the year in his high level outcome. And in his low-level outcome, I mean, we could see the size uh, disadvantage potentially affect him more than people even think right now, which people already think it's going to be a big problem. Uh, Maybe he deals with injuries that he plays through, holds him back a little bit throughout the year. Uh, I'd say his low-end outcome is somewhere to a mid-high-level backup. But I think his accuracy is so good, his, like, athleticism is so good that I don't see him sinking anywhere lower, uh, high-level backup, even at his worst. Um, So overall, pretty high expectations for Bryce Young. All right, let's touch on scheme fit and team fit quickly and then get out of here. So Bryce Young, I think he fits pretty well with the group that they've built here. So Miles Sanders is coming from uh, a team in the Eagles where they played – Um, heavily through the run but a lot out of gun and pistol so that should fit well with Bryce's strengths with the RPO game and off of um, play actions in in the shotgun Um, and I think that at this point Adam Thielen is is more of that like short type of uh, receiver um, than the intermediate guy he was a few years ago Um, and then especially like looking at like LaVisca Chenault he's like a screen merchant pretty much so he should be a an extremely good fit with the way that Bryce Young wants to operate on those RPOs. Um, and then DJ Chark um, as, as an explosive downfield threat, I think that's a good complement to what they have with Thielen. Um, and then we'll see with Marshall. I think Terrace Marshall is like a interesting player, um, and he has a bunch of different ways that he could go as a, as in terms of his development. So um, excited to see what, what he kind of grows into. I'm not really sure um, at the moment. Um, and then for other guys like Mingo, and I'll touch on the offensive line quickly, um, Jonathan Mingo, ex- extremely explosive player at um, great size. Um, yeah, he should he should be able to um, maybe eventually replace DJ Chark or kind of uh, play some snaps when he's off the field this year um, as a like a big play threat. Um, and then in terms of the offensive line, I like what they have, honestly. Um, Ikea Kwanu really developed last year. Um not really a big fan of their their guard spots as as I am um, the other spots, but Taylor Moten's a good player. Austin Corbett's a decent player. Um, Brady Christ- Christensen's the one question mark that I have, um, and then Bradley Bozeman is is another good player. So, um, yeah, they they have a number of good players on this team. Um, I don't think that they'll reach an elite supporting cast by the end of the year, um, but yeah. And then in terms of scheme fit, like Frank Reich. Um, 
I don't think he's ever had a quarterback quite like Bryce Young, but um, he's so creative and they, they're clearly building the team um, to be like this uh, short passing game with, with counters type of thing. And, and I, I believe in him as, as a play caller a lot. So um, I trust them to figure it out. Um, and then for, for Dalton, like, I'm not sure he's a great fit, honestly. Um, he wants to be more of like a work off play action, push the ball down the field um, and then take, take shots to some, some more, some more high volume type of downfield threats. Um, and I don't know if they have that, but um, I think maybe when he's in um, DJ Chark and Jonathan Mingo gets, get more targets um, and Terrace Marshall versus like an Adam Thielen. So yeah, that's the distinction that I have there. Yeah, with Bryce Young, I'm going to say that I feel very similar about his situation to C.J. Stroud in the sense that I feel like there's a lot of good, but then there's also some bad. Uh, To start off, I'll start off with Frank Reich. I do think that is a pretty good fit for him. I know I said earlier that with, like, young quarterbacks like this, you want someone who's, like, maybe a young young guy with uh, a lot of, like, modern offensive experience, uh, to develop a guy like Bryce Young, but I still think despite his age and maybe not experience with quarterbacks like Bryce Young, I think Frank Reich is going to be a good fit uh, for Bryce Young because I don't think you need to develop him per se, kind of like the other quarterbacks, uh, because he's already pretty polished coming in. So having him be with a guy who's a long-term NFL offensive mind, a guy who's had experience at the quarterback's coach position as well way back in the day. And just the offensive mind in general, I think Bryce Young is mature enough and developed enough to be able to run an offense like that. And I think Frank Reich, like you said, I think the best way to describe him as a coach is creative. He's very much creative. He's gotten a lot out of young talent already in recent years, especially with the Colts. Uh, So, uh, I very much expect him to be able to fully utilize Bryce Young's skill set. And he's not really experimenting stuff because he's been there before, even though it's not with the not with a quarterback like Bryce Young. Uh, he was able to develop Andrew Luck, I feel like. I think one of his best seasons, uh, Andrew Luck's, uh, was in 2018 when he won Comeback Player of the Year. And I think a big reason for that was Frank Reich. So I think long-term, I think that's a good fit with Bryce Young. Uh, in terms of the run game, I think there's a little bit of lack of talent. Uh, I think Miles Sanders was honestly a bit of an offensive line merchant in Philadelphia. He always had a very, very good offensive line, and I think that helped him a lot. I don't see him being very talented, and obviously the rest of the running back room is kind of meh. Uh, but in terms of skill set and fitting with Bryce Young, I do think he fits well. I think with Bryce Young, you're going to have a lot of, like, uh, zone run schemes and that sort of thing, something to stretch the field wide, kind of get spaces open so Bryce Young is able to operate. Uh, and I think Miles Sanders and even Chuba Hubbard kind of being a, a kind of one-two punch over there is definitely a good fit, but I would have maybe liked more talent there. I think if they had someone like Christian McCaffrey at this point per se, uh, Bryce Young would be in a much better spot. Uh, and looking at the receiving core, it's also a little bit disappointing. Adam Thielen at this point is washed in my eyes. Uh, not a wide receiver one whatsoever. Uh, I, I, I think he'll struggle to get open. And I know his catch radius is big. He's going to catch pretty much everything thrown to him accurately, which Bryce Young will be doing. But I would have liked someone who can get a little bit more space 
I think DJ Chark and Terrace Marshall Jr. are good for him, though. Both guys who are able to work well in, like, the open space. And both of those two and uh, LaVisca Chenault are all guys you kind of just want to get the ball to and let them operate rather than them being, like, true receivers who just, like, get open and Bryce Young's going to throw it to them. I think early in his career, Bryce Young does need a lot of those guys. So, sure, talent-wise, they or skill set-wise, once again, they fit, much like the running back room. I would have liked, you know, one guy who's just an elite playmaker to help out Bryce Young, whether it was, you know, in the receiver core or running back room. I would have liked to see one with them. Uh, I think Hayden Hurst is a good fit as well. He's a big body that... Bryce Young can throw two and you know whenever he's in trouble just have someone to drop it off to offensive line much of the same to me I think they're solid I think they're going to be about an average uh crew in the NFL next year uh Ekonu, much like Lar- is much like Laramie Tunsil in that Texans offense where he's kind of going to carry this offensive line I think he's one of the better young left tackles in the league and I think that's going to be a very good dynamic him and Bryce uh, moving forward, I do like Bradley Bozeman, Austin Corbett both. I think they're going to secure that uh, interior. But I think having two kind of rough spots on that offensive line in terms of Christensen especially and Moten, uh, it's going to kind of bring down the offensive line unit as a whole. And I'll be honest with someone as uh, small as Bryce Young and supposedly fragile as him. We haven't seen him really have much injury yet. But he's expected to be someone who's probably going to be fragile in the NFL. I would have liked an elite offensive line around him. I'm not going to lie. And I know you can expect that out of a team that's got the number one overall pick. Uh, It's just tough to do. But with someone like Bryce Young, you're going to need to protect him. And every time he gets injured, his impact is going to go lower and lower astronomically and even though it is an average line I'm not by no means saying they're a bad group I would have liked someone some elite group to make up for Bryce Young being you know a very very small guy and I think that's something they got to work on and develop for sure before they even get to like uh adding a skill position but definitely a lot of work for that Carolina Panthers offense to truly put a team around Bryce Young that's serviceable uh, but I don't think it's bad enough to hold him back. It's just a lot of mid, in my opinion. Yeah, I think they have like a number of okay players along the overall offense, and um, and I believe in the the scheme enough to make them look more like good players. So that's kind of yeah. where I'm coming at it from. It's possible. All right, so that'll wrap up our monster episode here. Two hours that's- here. We got- <laughs> All right, um, it's good though. We, we got through a lot. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, make sure to like, leave a rating, do what you need to do on whatever platform you're listening from. Um, anything else to add before we head out, buddy? Uh, nothing really. If you guys are still here at this point, thank you for listening to this monster episode. Uh, this will probably be one of our younger ones because we went over, or longer ones, I should say, since we went over four teams. Uh, but yeah, keep coming back for the next QB rooms, which will hopefully get more and more exciting as we get to the better teams and yeah peace out all right that'll be all for me that'll be all from potty see you guys in the next one peace, peace.